0: to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please check the ICDL Parent website at the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for a free virtual floor time consultation or for the weekly parent support meetings. We aim to help you implement your program at home using the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR, taking into account your child's developmental level, their individual differences, and using your relationship with them to help promote and support their development. Welcome to Affect Autism. I'm Daria Brown, and this week we have a returning guest, Colette Ryan. She is an expert training leader with ICDL, and is an expert in the developmental individual differences relationship-based model with the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning. She's also a parent support specialist at ICDL Livingston and a New York State-endorsed infant mental health therapist and an infant mental health fellow at Montclair State University in New Jersey, working with Dr. Costa, who we spoke with last week. Welcome back, Colette. Hello, guys. So nice to see you. And you too. So the topic today came up in a discussion with parents about cue reading and cue sending Mm -hmm. and, um, and Colette had such a good suggestion that I said, we have to do a podcast about this. So, um, just in the context of DIR floor time, which is what we talk about on this podcast, we're always trying to attune to our child meet them where they are developmentally, Take into account their individual differences, uh, use that relationship and affect to engage our child and work towards back and forth interactions. And in that process, one of the key tools we can think about is how we send cues and how our child sends cues and then how we read our child's cues and if our child reads our cues. So why don't we start there?
1: That's a really great place to start because understanding what cue reading and cue sending is can help to inform us as to how we're going to interact, how we're going to um, have that social reciprocity because sometimes our kiddos don't send the greatest cues but we know what the cues are because we're mom and dad and so We can read those cues easily. Uh, I remember when my my daughter was younger and she would tell me she wanted her filfo. And I of course knew what a filfo was, but no one outside of the family knew what a filfo was to know to get her her pillow. Um, My son would come running to me and ask, do this with his hand. And that's the sign for cookie. And so I knew what he wanted. My husband eh, kind of knew what he wanted. But anytime we left him with somebody else, his godparents, my parents, um, my husband's parents, we had to remind them that this is his cue that he wants to eat or have a cookie. And I think that goes, that just shows that you guys, as parents, you're the one who knows your kiddo the best. You know their cues, you know how to read their cues. The secret is to let everybody else know what those cues are, and and that makes things so much easier. And
0: that's what we're going to focus on today, uh, because I thought that was such a good idea. Um, We're we're going to talk about how to recognize the cues, but more importantly, Mm -hmm. to record them down Mm -hmm. and make a document of some kind. That you can share, whether to leave it for family members or babysitters, Mm -hmm. uh, to send it to school, daycare, therapists. Mm -hmm. And um, when you were giving examples of your children's cues, I thought of a cue that I send to my son that probably nobody else would know. But we started this little game some number of years ago. He has those big baby cheeks still that I love to kiss. So I always go like a vacuum and he just comes up like this. And he waits for his kiss. So that's a cue that maybe nobody else would know, but no matter where we are in a store or whatever, we're waiting in line, I'll go, and right away he'll stick his cheek out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's our fun little cue that we do with each other.
1: And earlier when you and I were chatting, um, you talked about another cue that you know when he's just about asleep. There's Mm. cues that kiddos give us just before they're, they're asleep. We, as parents, know what those cues are. Again, great idea to share that with other family members. What if an aunt or an uncle, grandma, grandpa, somebody else is putting your little one to sleep Well, waiting for that cue, and then you know, okay, they're just about asleep. And don't leave the room until you see that cue that tells you, okay, he's almost asleep. So, re- really thinking about cue reading and cue sending in, and what it can mean to our, um, our engagement, our ability to have social reciprocity, um, it really depends on the cues. Because I can send a cue right now to Daria and she can read the cue and send something back to me. I can go, and Daria read my cue. This is my cue to say hi. And Daria read it. I was a really strong cue sender. And Daria was a really strong cue reader. So she was able to read my cue. But let's just pretend I have a motor planning difficulty. And when I wanna say this, it doesn't come out that way. It more, it looks like this. Well, without knowing me well enough, Daria might not know that this was my attempt to say hi, and she might get frustrated. Well, what are you trying to do? And then I might get frustrated because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but it's not, my, my cue is not being read. If Daria saw this and knew me well enough or had read my All About Me document, she would know when I flip my hand over like this, it means I'm saying hi, and that would be the cue that would be read. I know we have people who are listening and not um, not able to see this podcast, but I am going to put up just a quick um, slide for us to think about, about cue reading and cue sending. And
0: for those listening um, at the audio, you can go to affectautism.com and type in QCUE or Colette, C-O-L-E-T-T-E, and it should come up and we'll put the, um, screen that we're looking at
1: in the blog post as well. So this slide is all about cue reading and cue sending. Strong cue reading and strong cue sending is much like the wave that I did to Daria and Daria waved back. She read my cue. If I took my hand in the shape of a cup and went like this, Uh, to Daria, she would be able to read that cue and know, oh, Colette wants a drink, she's thirsty. Because I was a strong cue reader and a strong cue sender. We had also talked about um, being a weak cue sender and a strong cue reader. It's a pretty one-sided interaction. Somebody usually ends up being frustrated. If I'm a strong cue sender, I'm sending my wave to Daria. But Daria is a WeeQ reader. She's going to look at that wave and think, I don't know what that is. And so what do we do as really caring, neurotypical adults? We wave again, this time bigger. Hi. And we might get closer and we might say hi really loud, really big. And now we're overwhelming Daria even more. If I had read her cue correctly initially, I would know not to make myself bigger, but maybe to make myself smaller and slower so that she would have a chance to read my cue and understand what I was trying to tell her. Now, if both Daria and I were weak cue readers and weak cue senders, our conversation would probably not get very far. And we would both give up and it's in the giving up that we lose out on so much. You know, we know I'm going to close out this this uh, slide. We know from the work of Dr. Edtronic that learning happens in those periods of discord. When we're doing the rupture and repair work, that's where great learning happens. But if we're giving up, then we're not having that repair piece. So it it always varies, our ability to cue read and cue send can vary by the day, we might be tired. We had a lot of work yesterday. We're just not feeling our best. Even as neurotypical adults, we can become poor cue readers or poor cue senders. So having that awareness of ourself is important, um, but also thinking about our children. What affects their ability to read and send cues?
0: before we get into that can you describe what rupture and repair is that sure. uh, electronic information you spoke about
1: so when i was describing the incident where i was in daria's face waving <laughs> because i hadn't read her her cue correctly so she didn't read mine waving and and i didn't i looked at her thinking well why isn't she waving back to me so i'm going to go in closer well what probably would have happened is Daria would have turned away, walked away, cried. She would have ruptured our interaction because I was too much for her. I got too big, too loud, too silly. And in that moment, that's when I can start on a repair by pulling back and attuning myself to the needs of Daria you need me to be quieter. Okay. How about this? Hi. And so now I've attuned myself to what Daria needs and I've repaired our rupture. Makes sense.
0: Yep. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) So you were getting into um, what can affect our children's ability to read cues and to send cues.
1: And you can imagine what they are, Daria. You can imagine it's, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm tired. I don't feel well. There's too much noise. There's too many bright lights. I I can't tell where my body is in space. I need time to move. All of those things can affect our ability to cue, read, and cue send and affect our children's ability to cue, read, and cue send. We have to think about that concept of cognitive load if, if this is the amount of brain energy you have and you need to budget those two hands, this is, this is it, this is the amount of energy you have. If you've used an entire hand of energy just to understand where your body is in space and now you've just got one hand for language, play, auditory, um, maybe visually being overwhelmed and being hungry, That doesn't leave a lot of energy left over for you to be able to process a a cue or send a cue. So thinking about how we can budget that cognitive load so that cue reading and cue sending can happen easier.
0: And um, I thought it was great how in the example that sparked the idea for this podcast you were speaking with a parent and recognizing and acknowledging that parent's ability to read the cues in her child and how that really led to an increased um, frequency of interactions between them and a lot richer interactions Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah when when an interaction feels good we want to do it more even if it's just a single gesture if the single gesture worked Success, let's do another gesture. Let's do that same gesture again. Maybe we can add a sound to it next time. When we find success, we want to keep going. When there's no success our excitement or our willingness to be motivated for something hard, that goes down a little bit
0: and the, the point that you made about writing down these cues, mm-hmm. I found so important because I've even had the school ask me sometimes, oh, do you notice um, something in your son that gives you the sign that he might do this or that? Mm-hmm. And whenever they've asked me, I've been like, hmm, I probably should. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> but if I think about it, there are tons of things. I just haven't intentionally thought about them. Mm-hmm. So part of doing this podcast is going to be an exercise for me as well mm-hmm. to really start to notice those things. So okay. the thing that jumps out to me the most is when my child starts to get really cranky and really whiny and really um, irritable. Number one, he's hungry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and that's almost 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. So if he starts to get louder and crankier and whinier and that, that could be something I could write down. If you Mm -hmm. notice this, you know, Mm -hmm. give him a snack. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes. And and think about how um, thankful an adult with your child is going to be when they see, oh man, he's just not himself. Oh, mom said that's a cue that he may be hungry. And now we've got success again because you knew what to to make of this cue. And and cues, I I loved your example because cues can be a little different. It would be so much easier if kiddos said, excuse me, I'm hungry, can you get me a snack? And we know that that would be a great cue if it worked, but for many of our kiddos, that's not the cue they send. So cues can be very, um, very subtle and different. But as parents, you guys know all your kiddos cues, every one of them. We, we, were, we had an intensive week at the, the center uh, last year with a family from Romania and their little one uh, would play and play and play, but then he would suddenly become overwhelmed and we would see him you know, kind of lose focus, lose engagement. And so we looked for the signal, we looked for the cue And we found that the cue was he would curl his toes. You could see it through his little socks. He would curl his toes. That cue told us to step back a little bit, reduce the demands, and then work our way back up that developmental ladder, back to engagement and play again. And it can be something as simple as that, curling your toes, scratching your nose. Oh, oh, that tells me something's up. And imagine how observant you have to
0: be to notice that. I don't think I would notice something like that. It's it
1: can be very subtle. They can be very subtle, and they can um, they, they can have nothing to do with the difficulty at hand, other than that's your child's cue for it.
0: And just to give a, a funny example, because you know, a lot of times parents um, might think, you know, I. It's impossible for me to figure out this autistic child. I don't understand. And I always like to point out that autism doesn't mean a different species. <laughs> We're all humans, and neurotypicals do this all the time, too. Uh, I'll think about, you know, um, stereotypical husband and wife at a dinner party or something, and one of them's getting bored and like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like the head nod. <laughs> you know, like getting that, like, can we go please? Or whatever, like those are cues. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought of another one that, that my son has that they picked up at school is when he starts to get aggressive and Mm -hmm. it took a while to figure out, but sure enough, every time he's about to have a bowel movement
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and he starts to get aggressive and and a Mm -hmm. little bit um, unruly. And then, they know, okay, maybe it's coming. And now they can ask, do you think you have to go to the bathroom? And, you know, he'll be like, I have to poop and he'll run (laughs) and then he feels better. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I spoke about this with Dr. Ira Glavinsky some, some time ago, the Mm -hmm. sense interoception and he was talking about all the things that impact cue sending cue reading and that um, we talk about individual differences, the five senses, the vestibular sense, the proprioceptive sense and, and interoception, understanding and feeling what's happening in your body. Mm-hmm. And um, only in the past month or so, I would say maybe a couple of months now, my son will sometimes say I'm hungry, but he never said that before ever. And he's 11 and a half. And even now when he's starting to say it, I don't know if he actually is feeling that sense of hunger. Or he saw food and it makes him think that he likes that food and it's he wants some as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still not clear, but that's a sense that that will take kids a lot of time. And, and even his toilet training was so much delayed, maybe because he didn't have that sense of what was happening mm-hmm. inside of his body. Mm-hmm. But recognizing those cues, I know uh, parents spend a lot of time for toilet training. Like um, I've heard of kids, you know, they'll go stand in the corner and be quiet when they're about to poop or other kids that, you know, like little boys twisting their legs and being shifty or putting their hand around their area, you know, Um, different cues for toilet training, I think is, is more something that parents tend to look for, but, but there's so many more cues uh, about other things that we can pay attention to too. And I, I wondered if you had any other examples.
1: I've got tons of them. <laughs> Love cue reading and cue sending. Because I think, again, it, it really goes to the abilities of parents to know their child the very best in the world. Um, think about the kiddo who um, goes over to the TV and, and taps on the TV. Well, there's a cue, you know, to turn the TV on, but how do you know what to watch? Well, they're gonna cue you. Uh, if you turn something on, then they're gonna say, nope, not that one. And you're gonna turn another thing on and, and they'll shake their head or they might jump up and down and or they might get angry. And then when you hit the right thing, they cue you. Yeah, that's it, that's the one. So let's think about the kiddo in a classroom. And the teacher says that, that he's constantly jumping out of his chair. Well, why is he jumping out of his chair? What, what's going on just before jumping out of his chair? Well, it's when I have to turn the lights down. Oh, well, he's telling you I might not like the lights going down. The kiddo who runs out of the cafeteria. That's a place with a lot of smells. That cue could be telling you they're overwhelmed in the cafeteria. There's so many things that kids cue us into. And if we learn to read the cues, communication just blossoms because we can acknowledge what they're doing. We can put words and meaning to the cue that they're sending, even if it's more of a subtle cue, even if it's not a cue that really relates to what's happening, it's their cue. And writing those down can be such a gift for anybody that your child might be working with. The, the Colette, wonderful.
0: Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was Just to say, Colette referred to meaning making. I was just going to um, refer listeners back. We did a podcast about meaning making a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll encourage listeners to check that out if they haven't at uh, uh, affectautism.com meaning making
1: meaning making and and making meaning of sometimes these very subtle cues meaning making and cue reading can go together and if we think about the work of Dr. Corinne Catalano at Montclair State University she has this wonderful document that she helps parents develop and calling it a document probably makes it seem so lofty but basically it's some sort of a of a um, either written down or in your computer or something, and it's all about me, about your child, and and I'm gonna share my screen again, and we'll make sure that everybody um, gets a way to link into this next graphic on affect autism. But this is something from her work, where she has basically things I don't like why I don't like it and how you can help me about it. I don't like it when I'm touched. It hurts me because my sensory system doesn't like it. And it could help if you hug me, if you need to touch me, do it from the front. Let me know what's going to happen. And let me um, only have to touch, have you touch my hand. So again, you guys know, parents know their child better than anybody. So you know the things that really affect your child's ability to feel safe and secure, be in trusted relationships, be attached, um, have connections, and being able to open and close circles of communication. You know what your child needs. So we encourage you to write a, hello, my name is, or an all about me document. Start one on your computer. No computer, just start one on paper. Think about your day with your child. Think about the cues that your child sends you and you go, oh, I know what that means. And now write it down. Write down what happens before. What happens when you see that, that particular cue? What do you do afterwards? What is, what's your child's reaction? When their cue is read, they get so excited. Write it down, not just for yourself, but your spouse or your partner, anybody else that's living in the home, the teachers, the therapists, the, the um, paraprofessionals, anyone who has an interaction with your child who could benefit from knowing what these cues are. It would be great for you to share that with them.
0: And right now I'm picturing in my head those index cards with a hole punch and a binder ring, and the therapist at school might write some stuff down that helped me out at home,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I can write stuff on a different card yep. and send the the Rolodex thing, <laughs> to and yeah. from um, because I can help them with cues that I might know and they might be noticing at s- stuff at school that I hadn't thought of.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it, it's and I think um, what you said is important too. To write down not just the cue, but maybe if something specific happens before, then the cue and what happens after, Mm -hmm. and maybe some, you know, some precursors, some consequences if you don't read the cue, Um, what your child wants, and that's, that's an important part of this mm -hmm. document as well.
1: Yes. And, and maybe how to make that repair if the cue isn't read. If the if the child in, sends a cue, it's not read and they dysregulate, is there a different way to regulate your kiddos again after missing a cue about them being hungry as opposed to missing a cue that they're tired? What what does that look like and how can I best support regulation again after missing that cue?
0: Yeah, and one thing that I'll notice is parents whose children are verbal sometimes will assume my child can tell me what they need and they didn't say it. And, and I'm, as far as I know, neurotypical, (laughs) but that, that might be debatable. But as far as I know, I am, and I had a very typical childhood with no challenges per se. um, I remember being very young and not being able to articulate what I needed or wanted. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, this one example may not be exactly this exactly related, but, um, I can't think of another example right now, but for instance, my kindergarten had a morning class and an afternoon class. I was in the afternoon class. My cousins were twins and they were in the morning class. And I was so excited to tell my kindergarten teacher that my cousins were in the morning class. So when I got to school, I said, miss miss my cousin Jody uh, or sorry I said miss miss Jody is my friend because I couldn't remember the word cousin Mm -hmm. said oh that's nice and I was like she didn't get it so then I tried again Jody uh, um Jody's my friend Mm -hmm. and she was like oh isn't that nice and I was like like I'm getting so frustrated she doesn't get it and then I, I can't remember like the next day or something, she came to say, oh, Daria, Jody's your cousin. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> so <something laughs> found out mm-hmm. and they came to me and said it. And it was like, I wanted so badly to share that with her, but couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that might be more of a verbal example, but even just other things, I just remember feeling like, no, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. So imagine how frustrating it is for our kids who are verbal, but mm-hmm don't have that capacity yet because of where they are developmentally or like you said motor planning sequences sequencing challenges or whatever it is in their individual differences um, cognitive load like you said the I'm getting too much sensory input I, I can't possibly verbalize what I'm thinking right now because I've gone into you know fight or flight or red brain or just stress in general to say what I need to say and so then you'll notice these fidgets or different body movements or You might even just notice um, you'll be in a, um, I don't know. Let me make something up. And you're at someone's house and they keep staring at the plate of cookies or something. I'm just making that up. But, you know, they keep looking over there like, oh, what is it that they keep looking at? They must want something. Just Mm -hmm. noticing all of these different types of cues and not assuming that they can tell us what they are.
1: Right. And that brings up uh, another great point just because a child is verbal, does that mean that their language is is fully functional? Mm -hmm. Are they using the words as a label or can they ask for something even if it's not readily available, not right in front of them, not on a picture card? So I'm, I'm thinking of the kiddo who might want to eat a banana, but if they don't have the word banana as a functional device, then they may be the kiddo who just stares at the banana even though they can say the word banana do they know in this instance to get a banana from somebody I can say banana point to it say please um, ask for it whatever but I'm also thinking about kiddos who are scripters who might use their scripts as cues scripts that have um, that that might be from shows that have peril in them or um, you know, that have high anxiety using that as a cue to tell you that they're feeling some anxiety using a, a script um, in a way that we're supposed to pick up on that they want something to eat maybe they're scripting from a show that has food in it but Thinking about, again, those unusual cues and they can be scripted. And again, you guys know your kiddos better than anybody. You know, when they start scripting, you kind of have a feel as to what that cue is. Write it down. So more than just yourself, your spouse or the other caregivers can understand your child. The more people that understand your child the better they're going to feel there's nothing better than feeling understood
0: and mike fields brought up a great example of that scripting in a podcast i did with him about gaming Mm -hmm. um i don't remember exactly what it was but the the um his play partner that he was working with brought up something from an emotional scene from a movie to indicate that was the emotion he was feeling um to mike Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: uh the podcast i did with uh, Jahan Shahata Abubakar about scripting. And
1: mm-hmm. she
0: gave the wonderful example of a little girl who experienced a field trip where the teacher yelled, Hurry up, back to the bus, it's raining, it's raining. So, in the future, whenever something was about to happen, the girl would say, It's raining, it's raining. Mm-hmm. And it just might have meant, um, you know, she stood up to reach a book on the bookshelf. And I can't remember if it was Jahan or the mother had said, Be careful. And the girl said, it's raining, it's raining. Yeah. And unless you knew that happened, you wouldn't necessarily know what that is. And sure. my son and I have like probably dozens of those kinds of things. Like we've had shared experiences in the past where something's happened and we've made little sayings with each other and it might not even be a cue. It, it might just be a memory that we have but nobody else would know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the silly example is when we were at a train store in just outside of Philadelphia and the train going around the track um, was a Hudson, but I said, oh, is that a Pacific? And my son said, no, mama, that's a Hudson. So then we've made it a joke whenever we think something's one thing, but it's another thing we Say, oh, silly mama. I thought it was a Pacific, but it was a Hudson or whatever, mm-hmm. however it went. And he'll bring that up too. Like if if I'll say, um, oh, I was supposed to turn right there. I thought I was going that way, but I missed it. I've got to turn this way. And he'll say, mama thought it was a Pacific. It was a Hudson. Mm-hmm. And it happened like five years ago, but he still mm-hmm. remembers and uses that script in that context. So I'm glad you brought up the scripting because mm-hmm. that's that's another way to catch
1: cues too. And it's in the meaning making of what he made of the, the situation originally and the meaning making of this new situation which is again comical where we made a mistake he's using his knowledge from that previous event to the situation that he's having right now and that's a cue that you understand
0: and I just thought of another one when you said that because what I've been saying to him lately when we go to sleep is time to charge our batteries and every single time even though he said it a hundred times now he says just like Stafford because there's an episode of Thomas where mm-hmm. Stafford is the new electric engine and he needs his battery changed and Spencer didn't listen and he said battery schmattery and they kept going and then his battery ran out and he stopped and we needed to charge his battery again so he says that every time I say oh come on you need some rest we need to charge up our batteries mm-hmm. just like Stafford
1: mm-hmm. so
0: he's making these connections that meaning making it helps him understand what that means Mm -hmm. Um, there's probably a bunch of other examples too um just from cartoons that he's watched that he picks up and he'll use appropriately in situations so it's it's how our kids make meaning like you
1: said and then how they then then use that meaning making in their cueing uh, cue reading and cue sending Mm-hmm. Because if, if if you say, um, got to recharge your battery, that has a meaning for him. And so you can he can use that as a, a, a cue reading cue sending situation with you. But if somebody on the street said that they had to charge their battery, what, what would he make of that? I wonder would he make that a cue and say to that person or is it out of too much out of context for him? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And um, I remember when I brought him to the uh, developmental optometrist for the first time and I knew they'd have to do these tests and good luck getting him to participate in those tests. I used uh, a video that I knew he would remember from Thomas the Train. And I said, do you remember Flashbang Wallop? Because he loves funny sounds and noises. And he had to sit with his chin and open his eyes and they were gonna take a picture of his eye. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, get ready. They're gonna do Flashbang Wallop. And I made it like sound like it was gonna be so much fun. And somehow we got through it. I was like, yes, it worked. So then every time we go to the eye doctor, he'll say flashbang wallop. And I'll say, oh, no, I don't think we have to do flashbang wallop today. But he remembered that. And um, and that's what happened in the train episode is a photographer came to take pictures of Thomas and flashbang wallop. And somehow the camera fell and broke. And it was this big (laughs) kerfuffle. So, um, yeah, it's it's a little bit of not necessarily cue reading, cue sending, but how that can you know, um, be just like our kids use that as meaning making, mm-hmm. we need to meaning make for other people about our kids' cues. <laughs>
1: about, our <kiddos. laughs> about our kiddos' cues, definitely, and what they mean. And again, what to do about them. If we have those ruptures in an interaction because we missed a cue, how are we going to repair the situation? Maybe kiddos n- need us to be quiet, slower, softer. Maybe they need us to to get them cooking some more if we have a rupture and repair. And as I say always, parents know their kiddos the best. You you know what we should do as teachers and therapists and, and caregivers for your child.
0: And that goes back to the co-regulation piece, which I think I'm going to have to... Um... Do another podcast about because there, there's a podcast about co-regulation from early, uh, early affect autism days, and it's come up in a bunch of podcasts. But um, I think, and that was mostly focused on when kids get really distressed. Mm-hmm. But I think I'll, I'll have to do another podcast on co-regulating in general, because it, it may mm-hmm. be that kids aren't having a meltdown, but we can still co-regulate them. And right. And that's a good example is if, if someone missed their cue, a lot of times, Some kids will stay perfectly calm and -hmm. they'll just move on. But we missed that cue. We missed that opportunity for some good, rich engagement. And they just moved on to something else because they gave Mm -hmm. up or didn't know how else to get the point across or communicate with us.
1: Right, right. And when we think about co-regulation, we we know that there's cues being sent and received during co-regulation also. So we do a lot of cue reading and cue sending when we think about how am I going to co-regulate with this person? Not to to co-regulate them down from a meltdown, but to co-regulate them um, in the interaction so that we can have those ooey gooey moments together where we can have that connection and that shared experience. And that's where uh, engagement comes from is having these great shared experiences and shared experiences happen when we can read cues and cue reading happens when we have meaning making and it's just like this vicious circle. Um, but when you're thinking about co-regulation, thinking about- Wait, A
0: vicious circle or a delicious circle? A
1: delicious <laughs> circle, you're right, you're right. Um, thinking about the the agile acronym from hmm. from Ger- Dr. Jerry Costa, also out, out of Montclair, and thinking about when you're co-regulating that we have to have affect. We have to use our gestures. The A is the affect, G is gestures, I is intonation, changing the volume, the pacing of your voice. The L is the latency, slow it down. And the E is the engagement. So think about all those things while you're looking for co-regulation.
0: Absolutely, and I was just looking for the agile, picture that I I used in that podcast with Dr. Costa Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't have it up in handy and I'm not finding it quickly here but Mm -hmm. if I do I'll put it up (laughs) but yes it's it's helpful for co-regulation like you mentioned to have have that piece handy
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely thinking about co-regulating thinking about cue reading and cue sending so that we can have effective interactions. Kind of all this this lovely circle, isn't it?
0: Yes. And uh, here it is, the Agile. I will share my screen so those watching the video can see it. So affect expression, G for gesture and movements, I for intonation in your voice, L for the latency and the pacing. Um, can you describe that latency and pacing bit of, a bit? Because I think the others are, are pretty straightforward and E for engagement, but that latency and pacing, some people might not really understand what that
1: means. One of my very favorite strategies is pacing. Because I could be in an interaction with a kiddo and I could go really fast and my characters could be flying around and we could have this great storyline and blah, 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 And if I'm going that fast, my play partner can't keep up with me. But if I slow it all down, even if I'm playing with our dragon and the dragon comes on the screen and I go slow, whoa. Oh, through the air with my dragon. My play partner has a chance to keep up with me, can process what's happening. If I just go, what did I just see? What just happened? I can't connect to it. But if we slow it down, Wow, there goes my toothless dragon.
0: You made me just realize something too. Just because the way the video is not necessarily real time in sync by millisecond. Mm -hmm. When you moved it quickly, it literally blurred across. Blurs. And in real life for me, it wouldn't be a blur. But perhaps that's how some of our kids Experience it because they have visual spatial perception differences. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would look at their cues to see, and and I'll give you an example. When we first started consulting with Dr. Gil Tippy years ago, we showed him a video of my husband and my son doing floor time, and Dr. Tippy, uh, all floor time therapists are always you know positive. But the way, you know, w- when I thought about it later, what he's really saying is this, but the way he said it was so positive. He said, dad, you are such a, you're so athletic and so great and you're playing and you're moving, but can you slow it down? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause they were, had a ball and, and my husband was like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Woo. And then throwing it. Oh, it's over here now. And he was moving way too fast to follow and so he was just kind of like you know even though he really wanted to play the ball game um so I had forgotten all about that until he said that but yeah that movement like maybe to him it did just look like a swirl and and he's like what what was that
1: Mm -hmm. even when we're giving directions to our kiddos it's so easy to say go get your coat on and and your shoes on and get in the car And now we've just added, whoa, so many directions. So if we slow it down first, let's get your coat and then your shoes and then we'll go to the car. So now that kiddo, my play partner, has a chance to keep up with me and understand and organize what's going to be happening as opposed to go get your shoes, go get your coat and go to the car. Too fast. If we slow everything down, it, allows our play partner to keep up with us. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thanks. There's so much great information here today. And I hope that people listening will think about it and, and make the document for their child. I know um, one parent mentioned to me that they have a similar thing called a school passport. Mm-hmm. And, um, I guess you can think of a creative name, um, whatever it is. And I know that I used to make I'm about four years behind now on my Shutterfly photo books of my child's life. Um, You could also make a a fancy printed book if you wanted to, although the cues might change over time. So it might only work for six months and you need a new one. But whatever it is, whatever um, works for your family, I'd love to hear if people want to put it in the comments at the blog post at affectautism.com. Uh, Let us know, like some of the cues, it it might help other parents to see the cues that you see in your child and what they mean. I've given some examples, Colette's given some examples and um, to put it forward into a document that's so helpful for everyone in your child's life to get to know who they are and to help make life less stressful and more smooth for our children throughout the day.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Colette. uh, Thanks, Daria. Always fun. And listeners, um, be sure to tune in um, next week and check out the blog post at affectautism.com under reading cues. I think uh, it'll it'll be called uh, recognizing cues in your child, something like that. Um, And there will be some links to the past podcasts I referred to if you were interested in listening to those and some of the other stuff we mentioned. So Thanks so much. Bye, guys. Until next time, here's to Affecting Autism Through Play.